Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, welcome to episode 28 of the No Look Past podcast presented to you by WRSPN.com. We want to thank you for tuning in. You could be listening to anything in the world, but you're here with us, and we appreciate that. I am your host, Frank Santos, a.k.a. my mom's favorite son who likes hoops and team mom, and I have my co-host with me, Andy Flint. Flint, what's good? Man, you know what's been bothering me lately? Nobody wants to give Rick Carlisle his due diligence on having a pretty good season despite that roster. I mean, when you have J.J. Barrera, Darren Williams, a bunch of other jokers, man in your point guard position, I think you deserve to get a little respect actually making the playoffs. And we are going to show Rick Carlisle a little respect when we talk about the Dallas Mavericks here in a few minutes. But first, we got to start with our outlet pass like we do, and then we are going to get into some playoff discussion. But the outlet pass is the first pass of any fast break, and it's the first pass of our show. Steve Kerr has won Coach of the Year with his assistant, Luke Walton, finishing eighth despite having a better record in the regular season. Andy, is it fair that Kerr won the award and didn't even coach half the season? Listen, I'm not here to argue whether or not something's fair. We all know that in any sports, these awards tend to have a fair amount of politics involved. I get it. And I was just talking to some people earlier about the same thing because a lot of people seem upset about it. I, I, I mean, I, I think it was Kerr's award to lose, and he didn't lose it. I think had they fallen behind the Spurs, he probably wouldn't have gotten the nod. Not to say there wasn't a, a lot of people who were very deserving. Uh, Brad Stevens, I talked about Rick Carlisle. I think he deserved to get a little bit of a mention. And, you know, there were numerous other guys. So, I, I don't know. I, I feel like it's just kind of the, the nature of the beast with Steve Kerr winning the award. I have two questions. One, who are these people that you're always talking to? Every time I ask you a question, you're always talking to people about all these things that I want to talk to you about. And I'm a little jealous, I'm not going to lie. But... Well, more importantly, is it fair that he won the award? Yes, it's completely fair because I don't know if you guys noticed, if you guys have been paying attention to the news, but the Warriors broke the win record in the NBA history. Like, no other team has ever won as many games as the Warriors have. So, yes, it is fair that he won the award, even though I personally, when we did the award show, I had Terry Stotts winning just because I didn't think that they would give the award to Steve Kerr because of all the games that he missed. But am I upset that the guy that broke the coat – the coach of the team that broke the wins record won the coach of the year? No, no, you're, you're not going to find me really upset about that. Uh, are you Are you surprised, though? I was a little surprised how low Luke Walton finished. I thought he was going to get a lot more love in the, in the voting there. See, what kills Luke Walton, and I told this to a guy earlier, and I'm not even necessarily saying this, and here's my people I was talking to again. No, these are, these are Facebook things, Frank. You have nothing to worry about. I mean, I'm your co-host. I, I mean, that's, you know. <laughs> No, <laughs> but yeah, no, I think we're, I think we're like Westbrook and KD. We're just in it till the end. <laughs> you you got to be Westbrook because I can't be caught dead in that hat he was wearing yesterday. But uh, I I think that the the thing with the thing with Steve Kerr and Luke Walton is is I feel like a lot of people are going to argue if you try to if you try to argue Walton over Kerr. I think the argument is Walton's just running Kerr's you know show. It, right. You know if 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 I built the ship and you know, I was the captain and you simply sailed it for some of the time. I mean, I'm still the one that built the ship at the end of the day. And I think that's, that's the, the defense for Steve Kerr, uh, poor analogy or not. I feel like Kerr, Kerr gets the credit because it's, you know, it's his playbook, it's his rotation, things of that nature. So while I think Walton did a great job and nobody ever expects a, an interim coach like that to, to win those kind of games, that team's just solid. 
Yeah, the other analogy, I would, I think we've all had the kind of boss where you're at work, and even though it's your boss's day off, he's somehow still texting you, and, like, he, he's involved in everything that's going on, even though he's not even there and not supposed to be there. He's on vacation, for, but for some reason he's checking up on work. We've all had that crazy boss, and I feel like maybe that was Steve Kerr with this Warriors team, even though he's got, like, a hunchback. He's, he's just, like, texting Luke Walton to plays, you know, in, in clutch, clutch situations and everything. So, yeah, Steve Kerr. Worthy of the coach of the year. We're going to move on. We're going to talk playoffs. Before we talk about the series that are going on tonight, we do have to talk about The Departed. That is what we were going to call this segment, one of my favorite movies. And basically we want to know what's next for these teams that are kind of going going fishing with the rest of the uh, teams that are going on vacation to the Bahamas. I want to start in the West. Our, our beloved grit and grind, Memphis Grizzlies, the, the brooms were out probably before even game one started. San Antonio just did... Did, did them nicely, you know, just just sort of, you know, let let them let them die peacefully and, and didn't make them torture through uh, game five, six, or seven. So what's next for the Memphis Grizzlies here? Well, here's the thing. I, I think either way, I would have loved to see Memphis healthy and maybe take a game or two against the Spurs, but the outcome was going to be the same. They weren't advancing to the second round, not this year. Uh, the writing's on the wall. And I think it's it's time to set off that bomb. I mean, nuclear proportion, Frank. I've I've done some devious things today with this trade machine, and I feel like it, it's time for the Grizzlies to make some moves, become a team who wants to, you know, not only get some new faces there because, you know, they have some aging guys there. I mean, the, their best players are kind of old at this point. Plus, they don't really fit this new NBA if that's – you know, the, the direction Memphis is going to want to go and they want to upgrade to the iPhone 57 instead of this iPhone 5 they're rocking or iPhone 4 or something of that nature. They, they've got to upgrade, and I feel like the best way to do that through is through the draft and, and acquiring some young pieces for what you have. And, you know, I think I, I just real quick, because I don't want to take up the whole time on this, I, I think some fits, some places to trade would be like, I think uh, Boston would be a big player for a guy like Mark Gasol. I think you could get him, you know, with – it's not necessarily the players you have to go, but I think Boston feels confident that they're like one or two pieces away. So Marcus all obviously becomes their best player, um, you know, arguably with Isaiah right. Thomas. So, you know, they give away a piece like a, an Avery Bradley, let's say, and we know that they have like an, a ridiculous amount of draft picks. So maybe Avery Bradley, another piece, uh, something like an Amir Johnson just to make the money work. And then they throw in a couple of those first rounders, you know, all the, all the ones they bagged from your boys and, and everybody else they robbed in the league of first rounders. You know, I was looking at other things like maybe they trade off, they could trade off Mike Conley. I think a, a lovely place for Mike Conley to land would be something like the Utah Jazz. If the Jazz are, are willing to give up oh. some like Dante Exum and Trey Burke, some of their young pieces, and maybe a, a lottery protected or a top 10 protected first rounder, they could get something like a Mike Conley and perhaps uh, even Tony Allen to come with that. And I think guys like that would you know, come in and they would gel nice with Gordon Hayward and Rudy Gobert and Derek Favors, and that team becomes instantly kind of tough. Zebo, he's the big one in question. I feel like there's a lot of uh, of vet teams that use him. But one quick scenario I have here before I keep running off and take the whole show is just I had, I had a little plan where Zach Randolph could end up playing a little meaningful basketball possibly. That would be the Washington Wizards. Um I think he would be a good fit there. Somebody to slow the pace a little bit. Somebody for John Wall just to feed the ball to him. And they can get rid of a head case like uh, Mark uh, Markeith Morris and maybe a young piece like, uh, I don't even know if I have anybody loaded up. Maybe even like an, uh, an auto porter in that case or something like that. But 
something to get to get rid of it. But I think Memphis definitely, my point here is they need to make a huge change and they need to come into the new future fold of the NBA. Whew, that was you a lot made of the analogy that you made the analogy that they were an iPhone five. I think they might even be a flip phone at that point. They might be a Nokia with the old snake game on it. I was just shooting at that game, by the way. Uh, but I don't, I don't like your idea of, of getting rid of Marquise Morris if, if we trade Zebo to Washington because that could be like a before and after, like before rehabilitation and after rehabilitation. Because if you remember, my man Zebo used to get into some shenanigans back in the day, so maybe he could just kind of be Marquise, you know, sort of uh, idol there. Also, I agree. I, I do think it is time to blow it up, and I think you made a lot of the, a lot of the points, especially saying that they are really behind in the times. Mike Conley, I believe, is a free agent and in the new market, I don't think Memphis, given the the structure of their team, can really afford to give him the max, which I think he's going to command on the market, especially with everybody having cap space. So I don't think that's a good move for them, particularly given the makeup of their team, given the fact that they may not be contenders anymore in three to four years. So why are you going to pay Mike Conley to be the best player on your team when he is not the best player, like if Mike Conley's the best player on your team, you're not going very far. If Mike Conley's the third best player on your team, you're in very good shape because Mike Conley is can be a contributing factor to a championship team, but not in the makeup of Memphis's team. As far as Marc Gasol goes, my I still want to see the Gasol brothers play together in the NBA. I think it would be awesome. I don't know where they would end up doing that. Maybe Pal comes back to Memphis. I think that would be a really cool story, to be honest. You know, if Pal came back to Memphis next season and then you had Pal and Mark sort of going going at it for, for one season even together, I think that would be a cool kind of thing to, to go on. But I do agree with your general premise that it, it does seem like it's time for the Memphis Grizzlies to, to move on from this grit and grind era. Whatever this whatever this era was that we loved so dearly, I think it is time for them to depart from that and sort of try and build towards the future and get in touch with, with the NBA. Let's move on to another team that is eliminated in the West, which is the Dallas Mavericks. Obviously, we have Dirk, who is uh, apparently not retiring. He says he doesn't want to retire. You know, we have a team that in the preseason, you know, after the DeAndre Jordan fiasco, sort of looked like they might have recovered and sort of gotten some pieces that led them to be contenders. And I don't know how you felt about their performance this season. It, it was sort of what I expected it to be, which was not not bad, but not great either. So what do you think of this Dallas Mavericks team? Do you think they need to make some moves? Do, do you try again to build around Dirk, or do you just kind of you know, wait for him to retire and then move on from there? Well, I I think Dallas is is tough, man. I, the thing with Memphis and, and what I was saying before with all those random you know trades I throw out with Memphis is I think Memphis has options, regardless. Right. And I think Dallas is like out of options because if you look at what they I mean you've got like thirty million dollars just in player options on three players that's Chandler Parsons, Dirk, and uh, D Will. And I mean, you know, D Will's collecting that 5.5 next season. And then you're going to be paying yeah. Wes Matthews 17 million for the next few years. So he's got that Tobias Harris contract. He's 29. Uh, the last year of his contract, he's, you know, be like 32. You're going to be paying him 18 and a half million. Uh, it's tough, man. I mean, Devin Harris is slated to make 4.2. Barrea is going to make 4 million next year. I just think that this team is, is going to have a tough time finding money and, you know, most of their money's tied up into two wing players and Parsons and Matthews who are just so not worth a combined, you know, $35 million. I, I It's going to be tough for Dallas. I think Dallas might be able to scrape by and be the eight seed again next year, but I, it's going to be a long build for them. Yeah, it, it, it's really tough for, for Dallas. I, I agree 
you know, there there has been some rumors I've seen today about maybe a Dwight Howard sighting in Dallas. You know, with with his situation in Houston not not going so well, obviously, um, they, they should be on our departed uh, segment next week in, in no time. I'm sure. Of it. <laughs> <And> <laughs> But, you know, that that would be an intriguing thing. I don't know how far you get with Dwight Howard and Dirk Nowitzki. I, I really don't know what that makeup is. Not very. Yeah, but it, it, you're you're right in the sense that they have not wisely spent their money. I think this honestly all started, for me, to to be honest, this, this started when Dallas decided to put something in the first place. I love it. You have that confidence. You sort of build off of that. Now you have a that is talented and also has the confidence of, of the championship. And I thought once they got rid of Tyson Chandler, and then Tyson, what, three, four years ago? I think I lost you. Oh, did, did you lose me? Are we here? I think you cut, I think you cut out a little bit, yeah. Got you. Uh, so I was just saying that, you know, when they got rid of Tyson Chandler, even four years ago, it was sort of just, I thought at that point everything just went downhill from them for them, and I think it is really time for them to move on. But let's move on to the Eastern Conference. we got the Detroit Pistons, who got swept by the Cleveland Cavaliers, who are looking pretty good. And I'm on record as saying that Cleveland is going to be down at some point in, in the playoff series, or uh, in the playoffs in general. And obviously it did not happen versus the Detroit Pistons. But a nice young team. So do you think that they have stuff to build upon? Is there something that you saw during their series that might just sort of be an issue going forward? If they don't fix it, what, what were your thoughts on the Pistons here? I, I have, I, I think I have more concern with the Pistons than I do anybody else because they're kind of oh, the really? opposite of Dallas. I, yeah, because and it sounds crazy, but I mean, the Pistons right now are middle of the road with their spending, fifteenth in the league. Okay, but they're going to need to, you know, sign on a big contract this off season, Andre Drummond. Um, so now you're talking about. Andre Drummond's going to make, what is he going to make a year? 20 million, 18 million. I mean, it's going to be oh, something yeah, like that. that. Yeah. Drummond's getting, so, however, so, whatever the most he can get. Yeah. And he, and he way. can't even shoot a free throw. And he's, so you have that problem. So you're going to, you're going to pay a guy on max contract that can't play late in games. And then, so here's my question. And this has always been my question. I think I said this before when we talked about Tobias Harris being traded there. Are you confident that Tobias Harris, Reggie Jackson, and Andre Drummond as your, air quotes, big three, can that team win a championship? And I think the answer is no, no way. But the money's going to be there. I mean, 20-some million for Drummond, 15 for Reggie, 16, 17, 18. His contract goes up a million every year until 2019, 2020. And then Tobias Harris is making 17 million next season, 16 the season after that, 15 the season after that. Your money's tied up in three players. Where do you go? I just don't find a crack. So if those three can't get it done, I don't, I don't know, and, and I have some questions right now. I mean, with Drummond's free throw problem, I think Tobias Harris is a good player, but even in Orlando, I thought some nights he was great, some nights you didn't know he was even playing. And Reggie Jackson, I feel like, has the tools to be a great point guard in this league right now, but he's kind of immature. I'm seeing some of these, these problems with his character, so I just I don't know. I don't know if they have the right money tied up here. You're really putting a damper on my on my Detroit Pistons here, who I loved in the I'm preseason, sorry. and yeah, you know, I, I am really high on them still. But you're making—I mean, it, it's hard to sort of combat a lot of the points that you're making as, as far as financials go. The only thing I would say is that 
they really had a good performance out of Stanley Johnson in the season, who is a rookie, and you got to think that that guy is going to get better and sort of become more of a piece for them. Uh, Stan Van Gundy is a building block as far as the coach goes. He really got the most out of that team, I would say, and I think will do so going forward, especially as you know they implement his system more and he sort of finds the personnel to match his system. I think potential to add smaller pieces that can go around those those big three players that you're that you're talking about, even though Tobias Harris as a, as a big three option is a little questionable, I will admit that. But you know, as as you add guys that can shoot the ball, you know, around Andre Drummond that sort of match more of what Sam Gundy's looking for, and we saw that with with Marcus Morris and even even a guy like Anthony Tolliver who is is sort of a guy that you can replace with somebody that that does what Anthony Tolliver does, but maybe better and has is more versatile and maybe even is not a turnstile on the defensive end, that would be nice. But I think you'll see this team improve as they play together. You'll, you see a younger core with this team, and I think you'll, you'll see a team that as they get more familiar with Sam Van Gundy, as they get more familiar with each other, I, I think the, the future is bright in Detroit. But I do agree that I understand what you're saying from a, a long-term standpoint. It does seem like they might have some financial problems going forward as far as can you – and I think that the real question that you're bringing up is a legitimate question that maybe doesn't have an answer yet, but can Andre Drummond be your best player? And I think, well, you know, he's shown peaks, peaks of that, but maybe not the whole thing. And I have nothing but love for Drummond, and I do think that – and I've always liked Stan Gundy with his days in Orlando. I, I hate when he was gone. And I do think there's a lot of good here. Don't let all the, the negative things I say. I just – I'm concerned because I feel like they're going to get to a point where maybe they're the second or third best team in the East because I do, I do think that's achievable. But we all know right. that that can be such fool's goal because, you know, Toronto is currently the second best team in the East, and right now it's looking like they'll get washed by Cleveland. And then Cleveland looks like they might not even be, you know, the second or third best team in the league. So. I just think, you know, that, that they might get to a point where they're just stuck as like a good team, but not a great team. And they're not going to have anywhere to go financially. But I, I mean, things happen. I, we've seen the, you know, the Joe Johnson's and Gilbert Arenas's of the world be traded with bad contracts. So I won't say anything's impossible, but I, I just, I do have concerns. It's legitimate though, especially the Drummond thing. I think it's perfectly legitimate because I think what we talked about with the Grizzlies, as far as them sort of being backwards is, I think what you're going to see with Detroit, especially if they go with this going forward, is a interesting sort of experiment in the new NBA is can a center be your building block? Can you build around even a guy like Andre Drummond just in general, regardless of how good he is? And, I mean, I think the Sacramento Kings are sort of seeing that with Boogie. You know, can you – I mean, obviously Boogie has some other things going on aside from the position he plays. But, you know, sort of can you build around a big guy? Can a big guy be your best player and you be a successful team? I think it's an interesting question, and I'm not really sure of the answer of it, especially when you have, like you're saying, Drummond with his free throw struggles, which is a huge deal, um, especially, like you're saying, when you can't play him in crunch time. But let's let's move on to what's going on tonight. We have two games going on tonight. Both series are tied 2-2. Um, we'll start with Atlanta-Boston because I think that's been the best series so far. You know, what you've seen from the last – couple of games since the last time we spoke and you know if that sort of gives you a different impression of the series and, and sort of what you see in game five tonight obviously a pivotal game five I mean I think that everything's kind of gone the way that I feel like you and I both thought it would um I know we were split on this when we when we made our picks you liked Boston I liked Atlanta I, I don't think either of us thought it was going to be a, a sweep um no I think both teams are doing exactly both 
to me, you know, that, that spell, smells like we might have a seven game, uh, you know, series here. So I, I don't, I think I still think Atlanta's going to win. That's still my impression. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised at Boston. When I, I did think going in that this was probably the most evenly matched series of all. And, you know, I'm, I'm excited for it. It's actually, like you said, it's, it's the most exciting. It's the one that I'm looking forward to every time. And like, if I legitimately have to miss some of it, I'm like bummed as we're another series. I'm like, yeah, do I really want to watch the Spurs kill the Grizzlies? And I can skip that. But yeah, it, I, I think it's, it's given us everything we wanted and more. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it's clearly been the best series. I, I tweeted on our Twitter account at NLP Podcast, by the way. We're just going to keep plugging that every single episode from now on until we get about 500 million followers, until we have more followers than Donald Trump. I think that's that's really the goal here. But, you know, I tweeted that game four of Atlanta-Boston is what this first round has been missing. I mean, that game was – that it had the excitement. It had great performances from Paul Millsap. You had the excitement from – the Garden, I don't know what they call the Boston uh, Arena now. It's it's the Garden. It's just the Boston Garden. That's what I call it. Uh, it. You know, they had the home crowd excitement. Obviously, Boston is always a great crowd. And then, obviously, you know, they had uh, overtime. It just had everything. It had everything you were looking for. It had good – they were playing good basketball. Maybe not great basketball, but they were playing very good, sound team basketball. Both teams really play a team game, and that's what I like to watch personally. Uh, even though Paul Millsap was clearly taking over for Atlanta, it was still sort of in – they weren't really forcing the ball to him, I, w- I would even say, even considering the type of performance he was having. You, they still sort of played in that team concept. So I am expecting much more of the same tonight. I'm expecting a very competitive game. And what I like about game fives especially is this is the point, really, where the teams kind of get sick of each other. And especially in a 2-2 crucial game five, this is where you sort of see a little – they get a little testy, and I think we've seen that already in this series a little bit, especially with Dennis Schroeder and uh, Isaiah Thomas. But, you know, you, you sort of – this is the tipping point. When you, when you sort of – you know, you know that this is going to be a long series and the teams sort of get tired of, of each other, and I'm sort of looking forward to that. So do you have any more thoughts on Atlanta-Boston, or you want to move on to Indiana-Toronto here? I just think uh, real quick, I feel like I also feel like game five is the most important. And I do like the way you just put that. You explain that it's because guys are sick of each other because you've had the same two or three guys sweating and breathing and just, and you know, when you're like exhausted and you've been exerting yourself playing basketball or, you know, whatever you're doing and you've just got somebody like, you know, and they're kind of grabbing your arm and they're pushing you and you're just like, you know, you kind of, even your skin might get pinched under your shirt with like an elbow and you're just like, you're over it. And you just want to do nothing more than to rip that person's eyes out of their socket. I don't know, man. I had a rough day at work. But you know what I mean? Like, that—that that is the thing. And I think they're to the point where they've irritated each other and they just both want to just, like, in them and be done with the series. And it's going to be great. Bloody. Absolutely. So let's move on to the game that, that's going right now, which is Indiana-Toronto first quarter. Uh, Indiana is leading by six – or, I'm sorry, leading by seven, 13 to six uh, in Toronto. What are you expecting going forward? Uh, obviously, people will know whether we're right or wrong by the end of this by – the, by the time they listen to this, but – uh, do you think that Indiana is going to pull off the upset? I know you said last time that they were sort of lurking, so I'm interested to see if if you kind of come to a final decision whether you think they'll pull it off. But I I I've kind of convinced myself that Indiana is going to pull off the upset here. I, I said it last I, I year. Like um, uh, when we when we did the court vision with the with the great fellows over at Warroom Sports, and last year I know we talked about it a little bit. You guys thought I was crazy because I I thought that. Uh, Washington would win a game seven in Toronto. 
And I said, I don't feel like the Toronto home court advantage matters. And for some reason I thought going into the playoffs that it did now. And, and I don't think it does. I'm not convinced. I just think, and we're going to go back to that best player in the series thing, DeMar DeRozan and Kyle Lowry. I'm ashamed. I'm ashamed. Like I'm, I'm like oh, wow. a mother who busted open the bathroom door for the first time on their 13 year old son. I am ashamed. Put the socks away. You got, I mean, you guys are killing me. I don't understand how two players who have played so well and are on the cusp of like superstardom can just fall apart at the biggest moment. And, and Paul George, I mean, he snatched their chain. I mean, it, it, it's crazy. Yeah. He said, I talk reckless. I really want the Coke and the money, but I'll settle for your necklace. And, and that's it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this is huge for you because you love Kyle Lowry, Villanova guy. You are a Villanova guy. And I think they're they're finding they're finding out that there's no such thing as halfway crooks because they are definitely shook right now. Um, I agree with you. I think that Toronto is going to lose and they're going to end up like Memphis, Dallas, and Detroit. And and Willie Walker would like to have a word with them. It's all there, black and white, clear as crystal. You get nothing. You lose. Good day, sir. That is what will be said to them at the end of the series because I do believe that Indiana will also pull off the upset. So we're going to wrap the show up. I think, you know, we'll just end early. There's only five minutes left. You, you think we missed anything? No, nah, I don't, man. I, I think it, it's it's been kind of a, a boring playoff series. I feel like that Clippers and uh, uh, Portland series is keeping it alive along with Atlanta-Boston. But other than that, no. Yeah, I mean, definitely, you know, because the Clippers have Chris Paul and Blake Griffin, so they're clearly going to win that series. And then, I mean, Golden State defending champions, they they got the MVP, so they're going to be, oh, wait a minute, uh, Steph Curry, Chris Paul, and now Blake Griffin are all, all out. Uh, Steph Curry, two weeks, Chris Paul and Blake Griffin play for the rest of the season. And, what the hell, Andy? That's my question. What the hell? What is going on? The basketball gods are really just not not feeling us. But le- really quick, though, did the basketball gods side with the Warriors on this one? Because I feel like – Low-key. Curry, Curry right. got taken, and they were like, nah, man, Chris Paul, it, 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 Blake Griffin. I mean, I, when I saw that driving my car earlier, I, I, I know everyone. I shouldn't look at my phone while I'm driving the car. But I got the update, and I had to look, and I said, Blake Griffin, quad, what are we talking about here? And, and I was instantly sad because now we're going to probably watch Portland get demolished by San Antonio. Yeah, it, it, it's crazy. I, I do agree with you that the basketball guys were definitely still on Golden State side somehow because they're going to get Steph Curry two weeks of rest, and they're going to have to face uh, the Portland Trailblazers instead of the L.A. Clippers with Chris Paul, like one of the best point guards in the league, and Chris Paul against you know a Sean Livingston-led point guard unit for Golden State would have been very interesting, and I think that – Charles Barkley said that the Clippers were going to beat the Warriors before the playoffs started, and I think it would have been a very interesting sort of uh, proclamation, especially without Steph. I don't know if the Warriors would have been able to get past the Clippers without Steph Curry, but we'll never know because the basketball gods love the Warriors, and it looks like the the dynasty has been started, and I just I don't even know what to say. I'm, I'm just very disappointed because we've had a relatively – injury-free regular season, and especially after last season where a lot of guys went down. You had no Kevin Durant, you had, you know, Paul George, you know, all these guys go down. And then this season it was like, oh, yeah, we're, we're, we're moving on well. You know, we had a couple of Anthony Davis injuries, but overall it was good, and now it's just complete, just utter chaos. And, and I'm not a fan, but, you know, we're not going to see as good basketball, but I'll be curious how it's sort of – it's always interesting to see how these things play out 
as far as the luck factor that goes into winning championships. Uh, any other thoughts about the injuries here? Well, while we're talking about injuries, I'd like to let everybody know out there in case you haven't heard fact of the day. Today is the one-year anniversary of the time that Kelly Olenek tried to completely rip off Kevin Love's arm like it was like a detachable like G.I. Joe arm that you could just reattach a rubber band later to a different G.I. Joe body and it would be all good but no I mean bad luck that's what knocked Kevin Love out and and now he's back with a vengeance this year maybe question mark this is these are the nuggets that we keep it around for Flint Miller every week there is somebody <laughs> we were going to move on to the end of our show like Jay-Z once said we don't believe you you need more people and every week somebody just matches that mold Andy who needed more people this week you know who I'm talking to. I'm talking to Mark Cuban. Usually I, I love the guy. I'm, I'm, like, always on Mark Cuban's side. Today I'm ashamed a to have ever have said that. I, I don't know what he's doing, but you know, I hope he doesn't see Kevin Durant in a dark alley. Speaking of Kevin Durant, I am also going with the Dallas Mavericks. I'm going for something in the first time in the NLP podcast history. I'm going with Charlie, Charlie Villanueva again. You got body bagged twice in one week, and KD took you and your owner to the back of the woodshed like the dog and the mice and men and just let just let you down, man. They said you might not even be in the league next year, and they're probably right. Yo, Dallas Mavericks, Charlie Villanueva, Mark Cuban, Jay-Z would like a win. Well, we don't believe you. You need more people. And with that, we are going to move on to the end of our show. Uh, join us next week as we continue our journey around the NBA. Make sure to follow the podcast on Twitter, at NLP Podcast, to watch us live tweet meaningless summer league games. We're definitely going to do that. We will close, as we always do, with the great philosopher, Jason White Chocolate Williams, who once probably thought basketball is a lot like last call to the bar. Sometimes it's better to pass without looking. And with that, we bid you good night. <laughs>